electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Yes, it does, guys, and welcome to the Halftime Report, everybody. Good Tuesday morning or evening if you're overseas. I'm Brian Sullivan, in for Scott once again. A surprise move on global interest rates. We'll tell you about it. The mega cap mauling and stocks struggling to snap a four-day losing streak. We'll see if they can do it. Got four hours to go. So how do you position yourself today, tomorrow, into next year? We're going to talk about it as we head into the home stretch of the year and even take a look ahead into next year. Hard to believe 2023 is so close. We're going to discuss and debate all that with your investment committee today. And that is Stephanie Link. Josh Brown, Jim Labenthal, and Amy Raskin with us today. All right, get to that in a moment, but right now let's get a check on your markets, and maybe we owe it to John and Frank. Markets turned around when they were on TV, and guess what? We are in the green. We've got a four-day losing streak coming into today. We end down. It would be five. We're up now. The Dow is up 0.3%. Not a lot. NASDAQ up one-tenth, but in the green nonetheless. We're also watching bonds here and around the world on the surprise move by the Bank of Japan to let its benchmark rate rise. By the way, speaking of rates and markets, Bill Gross will join us exclusively in a couple of minutes. He'll weigh in on that, the Fed, the devaluation of money, and by the way, maybe what he's doing with his personal money right now. Retired Bill, maybe more fun than than PIMCO Bill. Anyway, Bill will be joining us here in about 14 minutes' time, but Let's kick it off, Stephanie Link. Obviously, Bank of Japan making their move. Doesn't appear to be affecting our markets too much. So with that on mind, maybe the Fed a little bit here on the back burner. What is top of mind for you right now? Yeah, it's great to have you on the show, Brian. Um, I just think it's been a remarkable last five days. You had a very hawkish Fed. You had an even more hawkish ECB. And now you have the BOJ. And obviously, as you mentioned, rates around the world are going higher. There's really no change in my thinking that rates are going to stay higher for longer. Excuse me. Someone's calling into the show. Um, There's no change in my thinking. Rates are going to stay higher for longer. Growth is going to slow. I don't know if it's a recession or not, but we also know that earnings are likely to come down. That being said, the good news is actually we have some momentum in the economy right now, right? I mean, we have strong jobs. We still have more job openings than unemployed people. And I know those numbers are peakish, but it's still a fact. And wages are going higher. Input costs are coming down. So I think we're at a position of strength, stronger momentum in the economy so that we can handle higher rates um, and higher for for longer. Again, that doesn't mean that we're not going to slow down or we could see a recession. But I just think that we're in a lot better shape than is being portrayed at this very moment. And so at the same time, you have S&P 500 down 20 percent and Nasdaq down (laughs) over 30 percent. A lot of bad news is factored in. So no real change. I think we can rally into the end of the year. We're going to probably trade around for a while in the first quarter until we can kind of see and get our footing on where rates and what rates are going to actually do. But it's not all doom and gloom. 
No, it's not. And, you know, why don't we have an optimistic Tuesday? And, and Josh Brown, I saw a post by a guy named Josh Brown who was just throwing out history. And it was basically the S&P going back, I think it was 100 years. And I think he made the very smart and salient point historically that, listen, doesn't mean it won't happen, but it's pretty doggone rare for markets to go down two years in a row. I mean, there is a little history on our side. Yeah, and you can you can play with the numbers. You can use different data sets, um, but a lot of people are trotting that out because it is a down year, and down years are pretty rare. So the most common version of this story that you'll hear is uh, 21 down years for the market. In 18 of them, the follow-on year was positive. What happened in those other three? Pretty extraordinarily bad uh, recessions. What's really interesting, though, Brian, when you talk to bears. And I'm a, like I'm like a little bit bearish, but when you talk to bears, like hardcore bears, one of the things that you'll hear over and over again is that earnings are going to be down next year. They're already down this year, um, so we know. Like uh, if you pull out energy, S and P earnings are down. Like that should not come as a surprise to anyone. And estimates for 23 have been coming down pretty much every month this year, very steadily, uh, almost monotonically. So these are, this is like a, a well-known negative. We're all aware of it. I, I don't think it's going to be easy uh, to make money next year. I think you'll have pockets within the market where companies have a secular uh, growth story happening, things like solar, areas of healthcare, select areas of energy. Mm-hmm. But overall, it's going to be tough. And this year was tough. And you know, even if you go by the historical probability only a 9% chance historically that next year is also down, doesn't mean next year has to be back up 20. So we've had a a, a rough year. Next year could also be rough. We've had rough years in recent history. People tend to forget. In 2018, the S&P was flat, but we had two separate high teens uh, drawdowns, almost full-blown bear markets bookending that year in February and in December. So you could have a flat market too, the right answer might not be up or down. And I think what most people want to do out there is build a portfolio that is durable enough to withstand any of that range of outcomes and not anchor to one particular forecast, good or bad. Yeah, and the forecast, Jim, and again, I'm not going to throw any strategists under the bus. They're all our friends. People make mistakes, right? They come on this network and talk about it. But if I'm looking at 25 strategists target from this time last year, looking at this year, the low, as we know, was Mike Wilson. The median forecast was for S&P 48.75 and $230 of EPS. So everybody was pretty spectacularly wrong unless we get some massive rally in the next week and a half. Now, Jim, everybody's tripping over themselves to be negative and bring their forecast down. And I wonder if that sentiment would flip it. Well, I, uh, Brian, I like where your head is on this. And, you know, I'll start by saying that predicting the future is in some way a fool's folly, you know, and, and uh, doing it a year out is pretty hard. So let's not go a year out. Let's go maybe said. a month or two out. What, Brian? <laughs> Sorry, what? Go ahead. Predict the, fr- predict the future anyway. That's what we all we're all forced to, Jimmy. I, I don't I know, know anything about the future. Josh, hey, guys, you. let's be nice. We don't know anything about the future, no, no, no. except Listen, it's, 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 with it's me, in the and here's what I'm doing is let's bring it in by one to two months instead of making it 12 months. There I'm a little bit more comfortable, and here's the prediction I'm going to make. We're talking about you know things like a recession or a growth slowdown or a rolling recession. Really, what we get still comes down to what the Fed does. And what the Fed does in the first 
two months of the year is really what's going to matter. If they continue on this path towards 5.1% peak Fed funds rate, then yeah, you're likely to have a recession. If, however, they don't get there, it's a different story. And I got to tell you, I don't think they're going to get there. Simply not because they can't, but because it's not prudent for them to do so. If in the middle of February, you're getting reports of hundreds of thousands of job layoffs, at the same time that inflation is plummeting at the rate that it's plummeting, they're going to face a blowback that they're not going to be able to ignore. Very similar to the blowback they faced this time last year when they were hanging on to transitory. And the idea that this Fed continues on with what it says it's going to do yeah. lies in the face of five years of history. So just to summarize this, I don't know what December of 2023 is going to look like, but I do think that in the first two months of this year, the markets are going to come to grips with the fact that the Fed isn't going to get anywhere near as high as it says it's going to do, and that's going to cause a nice rally. That's well said. Listen, it's like Mitch Hedberg said, right? My friend said, man, I got a picture of you and you were younger. I said, man, every picture is a picture of you and you were younger. Amy Raskin, let's talk about, more importantly, what to do. I saw a Bank of America survey that said people will pay their cell phone bill over their mortgage. That's the number one thing people will pay every single month is that phone. Got to have it. You've been adding to Verizon. I am. Yes, I just added to Verizon. 7% yield. Obviously didn't do its job this year. Um, but people will pay their cell phone bill before they pay their mortgage. And the fact that the lower income consumers are actually doing better and gaining relative to upper income consumers is actually helpful um, to, to a company like Verizon. Um, but I just want to add on to sort of what, what Josh was saying about the market being down two years in a row. And, and, you know, typically that doesn't happen. But also there's only, you know, even if you're super pessimistic about earnings, there's only been 10 years where earnings have been down double digits. Um, and in eight of those 10 years, the market was actually up. So the two that weren't up were the two in, of most recent memory, the big um, the global financial crisis and the bursting of the bubble. But you know, you have to think that we're going into something like that and that we're having, you know, dramatic earnings decline um, and, uh, you know, a, a whole wipeout um, to really be super pessimistic at this point. Yeah, you're not super pessimistic, are you, Amy? I mean, you're making moves. No, you're, tri not. you're trimming some energy. You're trimming <clears throat> like a Novartis, which which only I think because that was a big winner. But you yeah. are adding to Verizon and maybe something else. I'm adding to some, I'm actually, I think we're in, we're heading into 2023 almost in a diametrically opposite position than we were heading into 2022. Um, inflation is coming down instead of going up. Um, people are bearish instead of super bullish. Um, valuations have come down. They're not super cheap. I'm not wildly bullish by any stretch of the imagination, but I do, we, we are, we basically taken, taken from our winners this year and adding to some higher beta names, um, sort of the snowflakes, the splunks, um, fibers, which we'll, we'll talk about later in the show. But I do think we're, we're, we're looking for a different market um, just because almost everything is, is in an opposite position, um, look, you know, going back mm -hmm. 12 months. Yeah, we're showing it now, buys more splunk, snowflake, Snowflake and Cognex as well. All right, uh, Stephanie, we'll come back to you. These are the moves that Amy was making, trimming some of the winners. Have you been trimming some of your winners, Steph? I mean, do you, are you trimming any of the energy names if you've owned them? They've been, they've been solid performers. You just wonder how much, how much gas is left in the tank, I guess pun intended. <laughs> no, I, I still uh, am very overweight energy, financials, materials, industrials. 
uh, more of the cyclical companies and, and sectors, um, and they've actually done quite well year to date. But I, I think they have more room to go, especially into the first quarter, which is seasonally a strong period for the markets and for beta, higher beta names. Um, and so on the energy side, I mean, I think the industry has structurally changed, right? And I think it started with the ESG movement and, and, and investors not wanting these companies to drill uh, and also to lead to better shareholder returns. And that's exactly what they're doing. In fact, Pioneer CEO uh, this or yesterday yep. or over the weekend, rather, actually indicated that they're not going to increase production, that they are going to stay on track for more shareholder friendly moves like buybacks and dividends. And, and by the way, what's interesting about energy, I know it's run a lot. But the estimates are going up much more so. And so the valuations are still super cheap. You're talking about eight, nine, ten times earnings with good dividend yields. So I still like the sector very much. I'm, I'm double the benchmark. So I'm 10 percent weighted in my uh, in my portfolios. And when Scott Sheffield talks about oil, you got to listen. He's probably the guy that knows the most. Let's move on. to We are legally obligated, Amy, to talk about technology, apparently on this show. So let's talk about it. Alphabet. <laughs> You've been trimming a little bit of that. Right. So, yeah. So we've been trimming some of the large cap techs. We've been doing that all year. Um, the big six or the elite eight, whatever you want to call them. Um, we're looking for higher beta, higher beta names. And I think um, in terms of of the energy versus tech trade, I think, you know, there's the secular story for energy, which I believe is completely intact as well. Um, I think longer term energy is going to outperform. But the cyclical story is that we're going into probably a slowing growth world, potentially a recession. And so last year at this time, you had the cyclical and the secular working for energy. And now I think you have the secular working, but the cyclical um, story at odds for it. And I think um, there are, you know, for the big, big companies, I do think from a secular cyclical standpoint as well, you had this overspending during the pandemic that we're still working through. But cyclically, I do think as as inflation comes down, you're going to have a cyclical tailwind for technology. Um, Probably not Mm -hmm. ad spending, which Google has a lot of um, exposure to. But generally, just speaking, in a deflationary world, typically technology does well. Yeah. I mean, I I don't. Josh, is is anybody using less Google or like watching less YouTube these days? I I don't think so. Well, the ad business becomes challenged when you have a recession in Europe, you have a lot of Asia in either a a lockdown or a slower growth environment, and obviously United States advertising for things like durable goods, travel, et cetera, are going to be down year over year. Those are very important categories for the big ad platforms. That's why communication services is by far the worst performing sector this year, worse than tech, I know interchangeably, a lot of us talk about you know these companies like they're all in the same group, but it really is the big ad platforms and Alphabet, which I own, uh, is in that group. I would also mention you've got this new uh, layer of competition from the streaming services. It, it used to be we thought that internet advertising and mobile advertising were going to eat the lunch of uh, the television industry. They, they killed the newspapers. Now they're going to go after that, that TV ad budget. Um, It's a little bit more nuanced than that. The TV companies are realizing that they can personalize ads via streaming services and be every bit as effective at some point as Facebook had been for the last decade and as Alphabet had been um, because they're going to know the viewers better. And I dare you uh, to to stand in the way of that. Alphabet, unfortunately, doesn't really have much of a a streaming uh, or TV business. I don't understand why they don't buy one. 
Um, but that's where that stands. And so I think you're going to see Amazon Prime and you're going to see Apple charge full speed ahead, Netflix into the ad business, and they're yeah. going to take their piece. These are big companies that okay. know what they're doing. That's it. All right, we're going to come back to the markets here, but right now, let's do something fun and bring in our halftime headliners. A guy named Bill Gross, up-and-comer in the bond market, obviously legendary investor, co-founded PIMCO more than 50 years ago, and now he's got some strong commentary in the Fed's path. He wrote an op-ed in the FT, Financial Times yesterday, you should read it, saying, quote, the Fed needs to stop raising rates. He warned about this back in March, saying they could crack the economy, and Bill joins us now for a halftime exclusive on the phone. Bill, really appreciate you. It's not a call-in show, but... For you, we'll make an exception, Bill. Thanks for coming on the program. You, you warned in March that if the Fed went above 25 to 3%, they could, quote, crack the economy. They're above that now. What's going to happen? Well, um, I, I think certainly the economy is slowing down, and ultimately we've got a recession. It's, it's been bolstered. The economy has been bolstered by you know, tremendous amounts of uh, trillions of dollars of uh, fiscal spending, but ultimately when that is used up, um, I think we've got a mild recession. And if uh, interest rates keep going up, we've, we've got more than that. Define more than that. Well, um, we've got uh, potential chaos in financial markets. I mean, uh, today's a good example with the uh, overnight situation with the yen and the yen what they call the yen carry trade. I mean, lots of uh, money have been invested on the basis of shorting the yen and buying uh, relatively safe alternatives like treasuries or or stocks. And um, now with the yen strengthening as opposed to weakening and with interest rates there moving a little higher as opposed to being close to zero, then, you know, this yen carry trade uh, stands a good chance of being reversed. And that speaks to global assets as opposed to just U.S. assets and U.S. Treasuries. Treasuries today, the 10 years, up 10 basis points on the on the basis of the BOG's move last night. I'm a little more worried locally, Bill. I mean, you're out there in Southern California. It's it's a housing dominated economy and parts of the East Coast as well. I mean, what do you think these rates, this Fed is going to do to housing, which is a multi trillion dollar economy to itself? Yeah, I think two things. I mean, PIMCO was very good in uh, 06 and 07 in catching the, uh, you know, the debacle in terms of housing. These days, you know, certainly over the past two or three, four years, the Fed has given the chance of uh, homeowners to to term out their mortgages to to uh, borrow at three and four percent in terms of 30-year mortgages. So I don't think it's the same situation. But I do think going forward, you know, if the Fed continues to raise rates, that the ability to um, equitize uh, some of your housing, which is moving down in price, you know, it's going to be severely limited. And so that'll, that'll uh, serve as a caution for the housing market. But in terms of a debacle, as in uh, 07, 08, I don't think we're headed there. But I'm looking at some of these consumer names, Bill, a name like a Capital One Financial, a name like an Ally Financial, an SL Green, which owns as much or more real estate in midtown Manhattan than maybe anybody else. These stocks are at 52-week or multi-year lows. Credit card debt up 20%. Delinquency rates are up. Do you feel like, you just said kind of no, but is there some maybe mini systemic risk here? I, I really worry about commercial real estate loans. 
Well, I agree with you on commercial. I was speaking to residential. Uh, on, on commercial, it's hard to know in terms of vacancies and, uh, you know, uh, potential, not defaults, but uh, potential problems in terms of meeting uh, interest rate cover. So um, commercial, I'm with you. Uh, residential, I think it's a little bit better. As a matter of fact, I've been investing in uh, mortgage real estate investment trusts uh, with yields of 14, 15, 16 percent, and they depend upon the 30-year mortgage moving down from, as it has, from 6 percent to now you know, close to 5. Uh, they benefit from that, and ultimately, um, if that spread narrows between 30-year mortgages and 10-year treasuries, then, um, you know, that 14, 15, 16 percent is a pretty good return. Is that, is that, when I came out and visited you a couple years ago, you mentioned Annaly Mortgage. Is that like an Annaly Capital, NLY, or can you tell us who specifically you are in, investing in, Bill? Yeah, it is. Uh, actually, I bought some of that this morning. NLY uh, yields about 16 percent. AGNC, uh, those are the two big ones, yields about 14.5 percent. And yes, um, they're volatile, but, um, you know, the, the spreads between 30-year mortgages and 10-year treasuries have widened so much that, it, Brian, it's almost like a, a, a play in the 80s, early 80s with Volcker, where you had 30-year uh, treasuries at 15 percent, and the duration was about six. And so, you know, they could have gone up to 17 and a half, 18 percent, and you still wouldn't lose money. It's the same thing here at these types of yields, as long as the dividends are uh, captured and uh, continued, and I think they will be, then yep. um, that type of yield covers a lot of price depreciation. Who was the second name that you mentioned, Bill? It was Annalee, and it was H-E-N-C. I couldn't catch the ticker. Yeah, it's A-G-N-C. A-G-N-C. Got yeah, it. Just, it goes by the initials. Perfect. Yeah, I, I, now it makes sense, full sense to me, Bill. I, listen, you're retired. You, you are truly unconstrained now. You can do what you want. You've been talking about shorting AMC years ago. What else are you doing in the equity markets? And are you, are you, what's your take on this FTX nonsense? Yeah, um, well, you know, the meme stocks, G, um, GameStop and uh, AMC are basically played out, I think, although the, the companies themselves are um, not looking forward to um, any good prospects in the years going forward. But, um, you know, I, my interest, aside from the mortgage REITs, has been in the uh, natural gas MLPs, Master Limited Partnerships, and these are tax-deferred, consult your tax attorney, uh, <laughs> tax-deferred uh, investments that yield 9, 10, 11% uh, natural gas pipes, and uh, they are somewhat correlated to oil prices yeah. gone down, and these have held up. And so, um, you know, it's a great deferred tax uh, play uh, at 10%, and so I like those as do you, well. Do you do, do you, sorry, do you do uh, ETFs or individual names, Bill? Yeah, no, um, there are some ETFs that investors should look at. AMLP uh, is a symbol uh, of the largest one, but uh, I'm investing in uh, energy transfer. Uh, ET, yep. The biggest one, ET, and that yields now uh, above 9%. And like I say, yep. uh, it's not going to show up on your 2023 tax return um, because it's a uh, deferred benefit. And Kelsey Warren, who runs ET? has bought over 100 million of his own stock this year. Bill Gross, Bill, we know you're busy. We appreciate your time, my friend. Have a happy holidays to you and Amy. Happy New Year. And uh, thanks Great. for calling in, Bill. Thank you, Brian. All right, take care.
All right, here we go. Annaly Capital, AGNC, Alarian, Energy Transfer, the, the retired bill. We like the retired bill. All right, up next, we'll debate some of the top stock picks for next year. Part of your calls of the day, plus the trade ahead on Nike, their earnings out after the bell. We are back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, time now for the calls of the day. Something about a train that's magic, they say. So let's start with Union Pacific, upgraded to outperform at Evercore. Firm says risk is already priced into the stock. Jim, you own it, so you obviously agree. What do you like about UNP? Well, Brian, besides the fact that it's Christmas and the time that little boys get model trains, this is a real train with really good prospects looking forward. Um, and it really comes down to what this economy is going to do over the next few years. Frankly, it's just going to build things in this economy. And you need things that get transported by trains, aggregates, steel, cement, iron ore. These are the things that get transported by Union Pacific. Uh, it's been knocked down a lot this year, but I, I see good prospects forward ahead. All right. Disney and Netflix both named top picks in their groups at Wells Fargo. Josh, your take. Um, I, I think Disney's getting close, close to the area where I talked about possibly buying it. Netflix, I own, I own it lower. I'm sticking with it for a little while. Um, I talked about the ad platform in the last block. I'll just mention they got a downgrade from an analyst who basically looked at the first six weeks of activity with the ad platform and said, not happening fast enough. We're cutting this to a neutral or whatever. That's like... That's almost it's almost uh, childish in, from my perspective. Netflix executives have gone out of their way to talk about how slowly they were going to start the ad platform, and they didn't give any kind of guidance or really do anything to tell you that they expected the best quarter ever to be the first six weeks that they launched. So I like the weakness in that stock. If I didn't own it, I'd be buying it right now um, because this is not the type of investment that they've yeah. made to build this ad-supported platform to hope that the first six weeks are like a grand opening. That is really not the story here. All right. Caterpillar and Deer, both named top picks in their groups at Jefferies. 
Caterpillar and Deer, similar stuff, but different as well. Your take. Yeah, I own both. Um, Deer is my largest industrial position, but CAT is a close second. And I think that it's the energy business in CAT that's not getting the respect. It's about 35% of total revenue. I see it going to 40, 45% by 2025. They've got strong pricing power and very tight inventory. So I like that story. On Deer, this is all about precision farm technology and how they're implementing that into the company. And that gives them better visibility and better margin visibility to the end of the decade. And so I, I, I kind of like them both, um, but uh, and I'm going to stick with them. And on any weakness, I want to uh, I want to add to uh, to both of them. OK, Uber named a top pick at J.P. Morgan. Josh, hotly debated name. You own it. Give us the give us the take on Uber. There's really no debate right now, Brian. It's a it's a dog with fleas. It's been terrible all year. It's right sitting right on an all time low. I don't, frankly, I don't really understand it. I don't know why uh, the stock price is where it is. I think it should be high 30s, low 40s minimum. I know a lot of Wall Street's targets are, are in the 40s. Uh, I, I, I think it just gets lumped in with this, like, um, this group of stocks that were considered like stay-at-home stocks because of the delivery business or unprofitable tech. Like It's in all of those garbage indexes, but it really doesn't belong there. This is a company that has gotten to profitability, will become more profitable uh, as the quarters pass on. I actually think Dara should step up and buy some stock. I don't know what this guy's doing, um, but he's running a great business. The street is disrespecting him. Um, I think he should step up and do something about it, quite frankly. At a market cap sub $50 billion, with massive revenue, with growth, uh, with a huge international yeah. business, why is he sitting here every day and, and just ignoring the carnage that his shareholders are living through? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're right. Pull, pull a Noto, right? Anthony Noto. He's been buying up SoFi, so, you know, as, as much as he can. I just By the way, I don't even know if it would help. I don't, I don't know how much he could buy. I, you know, Anything, I, I'm not right? going to pocket Josh, watch somebody. Grand. But, That's like, pocket how could you? <laughs> well, how, how could you watch this go on? Your business is, your business is actually growing how many, how many publicly traded companies this year can boast about revenue growth or, or uh, getting further into free cash flow growth? Like, that's not the case for most of these falling tech stocks. This, I think, is a very unique situation where they just are not earning any respect at all. Yeah. And I don't know what turns it around, but I'm, I'm surprised how long it's gone on for. Well, that's your point, right? Like, just even if it's a couple hundred thousand bucks, which is nothing for, for the CEO, just buy the stock, show the employees, the investors that you're in it to win it as well, and you, you have confidence. Good point, Josh. All right, coming up. Or, Nike. or, let, or let it go to 18. <laughs> your, cho your choice, Dara. Yeah, it falls in your 20, court. 20, 24 and 8 right now. All right, coming up. Nike, down 40% from recent highs. China's a big drag on that company, but the stock just got a price target upgrade ahead of earnings after the bell. We've got ownership on the committee. We'll talk to Nike Trade next on Halftime. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close? or travel somewhere far away. At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. 
Welcome back to the Halftime Report. I'm Contessa Brewer. Here's our CNBC News update this hour. Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg arrived at a federal courthouse in San Jose within the past half hour. He's expected to take the stand for a hearing in which the FTC is looking to block Meta's planned purchase of VR app developer within Unlimited. We will continue to monitor the hearing. We'll bring you any developments as they happen. In other news, President Joe Biden will travel to Mexico City in January for a two-day summit with other North American leaders. Biden is expected to meet one-on-one with Mexico's President Andres Manuel López Obrador and then a joint meeting with Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. This will be Biden's first visit to Mexico as president. But, of course, Vice President Kamala Harris visited there last year. The Bank of England is unveiling its first notes featuring King Charles III. Those notes will enter circulation starting the middle of 2024, and gradually they'll replace the notes featuring his late mother, Queen Elizabeth II. But apparently, Brian, collectors are clamoring for rare and sought-after notes and coins featuring Queen Elizabeth. There's one from pre-World War II of her as a child, so that's pretty interesting. Collectors are clamoring. Some nice, good... It's alliteration from Contessa. at, at, At its finest. But I would expect nothing less, Brewer. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. All right, Nike earnings. They're out after the bell today. J.P. Morgan raising its price target to 127 All right. Amy, Steph, you both own it. Amy, I'll start with you. What are you looking for tonight besides, you know, like good earnings? <laughs> Love good earnings. Um, but, um, you know, I, we don't really we don't own it for the quarter. So, um, you know, tonight will be they'll report whatever it will be. I doubt it will be that great. I mean, China's still going to really be a drag on earnings um, that will see what their how their inventory looks as well, which will be super important. But we trimmed Nike earlier this year, obviously not enough given the year that it's had. I do think longer term, it has a lot of opportunity in front of it as it gets, it, it eliminates the middleman and goes direct to consumer. That will be a big boost for earnings. Um, this is a, obviously a best-in-class retailer. Um, they, they can manage their inventory, I think, better than most. Um, so I do think they have some competitive advantages, but we're obviously not playing it for the quarter. And if, if it gets hit, you know, I've been looking at it all year after we trimmed it, um, and it keeps going down. Um, at some point, we'd add to it for the longer-term story, but near-term, there are definitely headwinds. Yeah. And Steph, what kind of guidance do you need to hear? Oh, my gosh. Just in line. Honestly, just That's an in-line in line guide. Is the new um, that would be kind of a <laughs> yeah, it's a new up. Exactly right. Look, a um, couple things. Solid demand. We heard from Capri and we heard from Tapestry and also Skechers. So I think demand is going to be fine. Nike has SGNA kind of levers to pull on the way up and on the way down. DTC, as Amy mentioned, it's 40 percent of their total revenue. So to the, to the extent they grow that, that helps margins long term. But the most important two figures, gross margins, they guided down th- 350 to 400 basis points year over year. The other thing is inventories. First quarter, they were up 44 percent. They've got to work those down. Those are the two key metrics, though, I think, for the stock price. All right. Well said, Amy and Steph. Thank you. Those numbers out tonight. All right. Coming up. Stocks overall, you know, maybe get hit hard this year. The Fed keeps raising rates, but which stocks will benefit when the Fed stops raising rates? We'll talk about it. And the investment committee is ready to grade your trade. As always, if you want to send in a trade, go to askhalftime at cbc.com on the email or tweet us using the hashtag grademytrade. We're back after this. All right, 
welcome back to halftime. It is now time for Dom Chu and today's Sectornomics. Dom, what sector are you going to nomic? We're going to nomic just about all of them because they're all in focus right now, Brian, given what's happening with interest rates. And the reason why is because certain sectors have been hit harder than others as rates have really drifted higher, not even drifted, gone shot up higher since the beginning of the year. If you look at the benchmark U.S. 10-year Treasury note, at the beginning of the year, we were closer to just around 1.38%, got as high as 4.33% at the highs, and you can see where we are right now, just about 3.7%. What that's done is made a lot of investments a little less attractive, given the fact that you can get so much more return risk-free courtesy of the U.S. government. Now, as a result of that, some of the sectors that have been hit the hardest from a valuation perspective are tied to that interest rate trade. If you look at some of the names in communication services, that sector down about 27 percent. Real estate, very much tied to interest rates in that market, down about 20 percent. Consumer discretionary, which encompasses names on the growth side like Amazon and Tesla, down 19 percent. And technology, of course, down 13 since the Fed embarked on its rate hike cycle in kind of the spring of this year. Now, as for the stock that have been hit some of the hardest here in terms of those names. Tesla is down 47% during that span. Meta Platforms down 38% and even Microsoft down about 14%. Valuation, part of those stories. And of course, Brian, some of the more company-specific idiosyncratic issues affecting valuations there as well. We'll have to see how those play out. But if you're looking for where some of the biggest bounces could be hypothetically in a world where the Fed pauses rate hikes or even hypothetically starts to cut later on well down the line. Some of these beaten up names could be ones on those shopping lists. Brian, back over to you. All right. Looking at it, Tesla, Microsoft and Meta. Dom, thank you very much. Nomic it well. All right, Steph, let's go to you. Um, home builders, DHI, may, I'm trying to find any <laughs> super rate sensitive type stock sector. Yeah, well, no, well, home builders are totally tied to higher rates. So if rates stop going up, maybe even come down, I think you are going to see the home builders actually see an improvement. Overall, I think discretionary will win. They're, the XLY is down 37% year to date, and I think staples will lose. The XLP is only down 4%, so massive outperformance on staples over discretion. So if, they, if the Fed stops, I do think the home builders will be a winner. Um, they've acted quite well. Uh, the 30-year, by the way, Brian, is down 21 percent from its highs. And this is best in class company, best in class ROE operating margins. And at 1.3 times book or nine times earnings, very cheap. VF Corp, by the way, I own DR Horton. Um, the uh, VF Corp I don't own, but I have in the past. This thing is down 65 percent and trades at 12 times earnings as an 8 percent yield. They have a new CEO that's yet to be named. They probably come in, cut that dividend, but I don't think it's going to be by a whole heck of a lot. And they have best in class brands. Um, and uh, as I mentioned, a catalyst with a new CEO. Yeah. And uh, Amy, we got what, what's your take on the interest rate sensitive moves, assuming the Fed will eventually they will. I mean, they have to stop at some point. What would you like? Uh, it's going to be your high beta long duration names. Um, you know, the things that got crushed this year will do better. Um, as I said earlier, we've been adding to some of those. I mean, the the. The problem is that they haven't worked. As Don said, rates are down from 4.3 to 3.6. And you would have expected tech to really rally during that decline, and it really hasn't. But that that's your typical play, is that you want to buy, if inflation's coming down enough to the degree that the Fed can stop or even turn, you want to buy the winners in a disinflationary environment. Those are, those are your long-duration tech stocks um, as the Yields go down, the the discounted value goes up, and so it's it's pretty much, you know, a 
a mathematical relationship, so it's a truism that that holds. Um, yeah. So I do think you go. We can experience that in the first half of the year. Um, that would really be a shock, I think, for the markets, but um, certainly possible. Okay, Amy, Steph, thank you very much. All right, up next, Mike Santoli with a midday word halftime. I'll be right back. Stick around. Senior Markets Commentator Michael Santoli joining us now from the Stock Exchange. Mike, what is the midday word today? Well, today, Brian, I think it's one of those days where the relatively muted reaction by U.S. markets to what happened overnight with the Bank of Japan might be more the story than any, you know, kind of broader impact. In other words, the potential macro jolt, we got a 4% move in dollar-yen exchange rate today, and it didn't, at least initially, cause much spillover except perhaps to help put a floor under Treasury yields, actually global yields, really, uh, if we're talking about it. And that's not a terrible thing considering how far down yields had come in the U.S. So an interesting spot for all that to take place. We still keep operating for the stock market, for the S&P 500, in this range, went from 4,100 uh, almost to the tick last Tuesday, 3,800 yesterday's low, broke through that today. So it seems like we're trying to figure out if this is a, a reasonable zone to operate in when we're really not expecting much except for a couple of one-off uh, earnings reports until we see if this seasonal strength we've been promised, really tomorrow uh, is when it's supposed to kick in, does in fact show up. Yeah, you know, Josh, listen, it's Hanukkah. We got Christmas in less than a week. We got New Year's. So what, what are you watching most closely? The Fed, thankfully, in the rearview mirror for the year. What's, what, kind of, what is Josh Brown focused on right now from a macro perspective? I think it's, it's two things, and I'm trying to balance these two things in my mind. The first is inflation is falling fast. A lot of the headline inflation stuff that we're seeing um, I think is, is the wrong way to look at, you know, year-over-year year change. We should all be laser-focused on month-over-month. And even if you want to do, like, multiple months, but, like, an exponential moving average, let's say. Like, let's focus on what's happening right now because change is coming really fast. That's the number one thing. But the other thing, so that's bullish. But the other thing is that they may have already gone too far. A lot of, a lot of things in financial markets, once they're set in motion, it's very difficult to, to stop them on a dime. I think we have huge problems in, in, in commercial real estate. I think we have... Uh, some yep. major problems brewing with the consumer who's going to have much less money uh, to spend in Q1. So that's the kind of thing that it's a push and pull, Brian. And I'm trying to balance both of those things at once in yep. my head and not get too excited one direction or the other. I think we are. Let's see where that consumer ends up. Josh, thank you very much. Mike Santoy, thank you. All right. The committee ready to grade your trade. That is next. Time now for Grade My Trade. All right, let's get started with a trade from Pepe. Pepe bought Johnson & Johnson at $176.62. So Pepe's down just a touch, Steph. You own it. Should Pepe stick with it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is a best-in-class pharmaceutical company growing 9%. That's about 56% of their total revenues. MedTech is a total reopen play, and the consumer business, they're spinning off next year. So you have a nice catalyst. They've been actually providing a dividend for 50 consecutive years. High-quality company I would, I would stick with. All right. Next up, Bill. He sold Cleveland Cliffs at $15.19. 
he bought Boeing at $184. All right, Jim, you own both of these stocks. How would you grade Bill's trade? I have no choice but to give Bill an A. However, wow. Bill, I'd, I'd like to speak to you after the class is over. Uh, selling my cliffs doesn't go over well, but that's okay. That's okay. Why don't you let Boeing run for a little bit and then reverse the trade? But based on the prices, good job. You know what does it? Also, call him an iron ore company. The CEO, I'm told, loves that. Kidding. All right, finally, Adolfo <laughs> bought Chevron at $183.70. All right, Steph, you own Chevron. Your thoughts on Adolfo's trade, your grade? Well, I, <laughs> this, is a, this is a best-in-class blue-chip oil company doing all the right things. They've got upstream and a great Permian asset class. Uh, they got downstream where they have pricing power and chemicals. Also, they have pricing power. Um, very, very strong balance sheet. They're actually buying back anywhere from five to $15 billion. Uh, they're they're kind of going at the high end at this point in time. And oil above $75, they're, they're just printing money at this point. So I like this story very much. Nine times earnings, by the way, and a 3-3 yield. Oh, well, we know how the government loves them printing money. It's their favorite thing. All right, keep your trades coming in. <laughs> Send an email to askhalftime at cbc.com or tweet us using the hashtag grademytrade. Up next, final trades. It's going to be my Wordle starting word tomorrow. Next on Halftime. All right, it's time now to wrap up the show with the final trades. Amy Raskin, why don't you start it off for us today? Sure. I'm going to go with Fiverr. I, I've sort of put this in the category, and Josh might not like this, but of sort of the Uber trade. of um, This is a profitable company. It's a billion-dollar market cap at this point. I think they're well-positioned, especially if the labor market does turn and becomes weaker. Um, they're well-positioned to capitalize on that. So, I, you know, I, I don't know why it keeps going down, but it does. It's been a really frustrating stock this year. It's a small position for us. We just added to it a bit. But I do think if we get into this disinflationary environment and uh, yields yeah. come down a bit, this is one that will do well. Fiverr with two R's. Josh Brown, final trade. I've been stalking this DocuSign for, for a bit. Um, I think if you, if you are comfortable with um, a small amount of risk, you could pull the trigger here. A company reported last week they actually beat earnings. Analysts are raising estimates. There are very few stocks in this category where you see that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you can use the rising 50-day okay. moving average, which is 47.5 as your stop loss. So yep. I think the, the upside maybe is a double. The downside, six or seven points. Jim. I like the trade here. Jim? Yeah, Wynn Resorts. Look, I heard Josh earlier that the uh, consumer may be laid out flat in the year to come. Maybe he's right, but I'm actually putting my money yeah. on a strong labor market propelling further record results in Las Vegas. And Steph, Steph, round it out for us. Okay, General Electric, aviation is humming, healthcare supply chains are getting fixed, and power profitability continues. They are splitting up into three on yeah. January 4th. That's a nice catalyst. There you go. Perfect timing, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow in halftime. The Exchange with Kelly begins now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. 
crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.